Hello and welcome to Stuck in the 90s. We are your weekly nostalgia podcast chronicling the years 1990 through to and including 1999. Yeah, we include 99. We're your hosts. My name's Chris Alvick. And I'm Connor Thompson. This week, we are going to be covering January 29th through the 4th of February in 1996. Let's start off with some news. January 29th. KISS reveals that they have reunited with original members Ace Frehley and Peter Chris with a surprise appearance on the American Music Awards show. The band took the podium in full makeup and costume for the first time since 1983. Now we're going off the books because I actually know some shit about this. Yeah, I figured, I was, I was like, oh, you we were into KISS. So. This kicked off the KISS uh, Alive Worldwide Tour in 96. This was their highest grossing tour as well. I'm pretty sure it got pretty close to 150 mil. It was like 145, 147, something like that. They made a buttload of money, which is what KISS is all about. Making money? Making buttloads of money. Yeah, I uh, I think so. That's like, you know, I want to make a buttload of money all night. Rock and roll, motherfuckers. That was great. January 30th, there was a VHS release of Reboot today containing oh, yes. two episodes. I think like a VHS, you could fit four or five. They decided to fit two of them. Uh, also today, Comet, I don't know how to pronounce this. Let's Hayak, Hayakute? Hey. There was a comet discovered today. <laughs> it passed very close to Earth in March of this year. It was dubbed the Great Comet of 1996. Why couldn't I just call it that? Its passage near Earth was one of the closest cometary approaches of the previous 2,000 years. Cometary, that's a new word. Previous 200 years. Oh, shit, 200 years. That's pretty neat also, though. Yeah. Comets are fucking sweet. I love comets. Me too. January 31st, American punk rock band NoFX released their sixth studio album, Heavy Petting Zoo, which is probably the best title of a studio album. It's a good pun. So they had two different cover images for the album. Uh, the artwork for the CD edition features a man cuddling a sheep. Uh, the band's name and album title are featured at the top of the cover. The vinyl edition's artwork features the same man and sheep in a 69 position. Uh, the title, Eating Lamb, is given on the cover of the LP with Heavy Petting Zoo written on the spine. That's great. It's, uh, yeah. They really paint a scene there. In their analysis of NoFX's attitude, the authors of Screaming for Change articulating a unifying philosophy of punk rock state, quote, the fact that none of the songs on the record deal with animals, zoos, or even bestiality supports the assertion that the artwork contains little, if any, significant meaning other than portraying images the band is confident will upset and shock the establishment. That's fucking punk rock, man. Oh yeah, punk rock. Slightly less punk rock, but in my opinion, still very cool. February 1st, JPL unveils its Red Planet Rover. Science teams at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena on Wednesday presented their latest progeny, a feisty one-foot-tall Mars rover, to a group of white-suited reporters, photographers, and NASA officials in a JPL cleanroom. The latest addition to JPL's family of Voyagers will soon undergo final testing and preparation for its trip to Mars later this year. The six-wheeled, 25-pound rover will be first in a number of Mars missions scheduled over the next decade. It comes equipped with stereo cameras to see its way around, a pea-shooter-type gadget that spits out atomic nuclei to determine the chemical nature of rocks, laser navigation guides, and enough hardwired intelligence to steer itself around obstacles. 
Red Rover, Red Rover, will Pathfinder come over? Mars Rovers are so goddamn sweet. Oh, they yeah. are punk rock because they live well past the age they should. That's true. They, yeah. They are the Keith rock, Richards though? of the uh, space. Punk I was going to say the space world, but that's not a thing. It could be. Um, I like that. I, I mean, because what's more punk rock than... Living Mars forever. rocks. I don't know. Okay. Um, have you seen The Martian? Oh, yeah. I love The Martian. February 2nd, Campaign 96. Clinton's biggest drawback in Midwest is First Lady, poll finds. President Clinton's biggest liability in the Midwest in the November general election may not be the economy or his foreign policy, but rather his wife, Hillary Rodham Clinton, according to a poll released Thursday, two days before a scheduled visit by the First Lady. Negative publicity surrounding Miss Clinton has run high of late, with renewed allegations of impropriety over her role in the White House travel office firings and the Whitewater land deal. The Midwest, fucking over Hillary since 96. Okay, moving on to February 3rd. INS official convicted of attempted robbery. A federal jury convicted an Immigration and Naturalization Service officer and his brother of conspiring to rob the Postal Service Credit Union in Los Angeles. The INS officer, Sterling David Bias. Great name. I know. Wow. Wow. Age 34 was found guilty of conspiring to commit unarmed bank robbery in connection with the September 21st, 1995 holdup. His brother, Sean Christopher Bias, less, less cool good name, name yeah. age 32, was convicted of conspi- uh, conspiracy to commit armed bank robbery and using a firearm during the crime. Prosecutors charged that Sterling Bias, again, really cool Fuck name, yeah. had an account at the credit union and knew that it received bi-weekly armored car deliveries of about $1 million in cash. Damn. Sterling Bias. That just sounds suspicious, right? It sounds fucking awesome. It sure does. Like, that's a great name. Ah. February 4th. Former Millie Vanilli band member Rob Pilatus is hospitalized when a man hits him over the head with a baseball bat in Hollywood uh, while he is attempting to steal the man's car. Yeah. So Millie Vanilli went so far downhill. That he was robbing banks. Well, like, this guy was robbing banks. And a car. Yeah, that's what I mean by banks. He was robbing the... (laughs) We're just making up crimes for him. Like, he robbed a car, but also he's probably a bank thief. The bank of change in the the cup holder is what I mean by that. It's actually really sad because he was really into drugs and alcohol and passed away, I think, about a year later. Speaking of spiraling downhill, let's move on to movies and music because we have a doozy for you this week. All right, yeah. That was that was a really dark transition. That was. It's like <laughs> speaking speak of movies and music today. Ooh. I don't know. Like, okay. So here's what we've got for the box office. You've heard these all before. However, there was one movie on here that we feel like we should know more about, but frankly, we don't. Yeah, and that's not 12 Monkeys or From Dusk Till Dawn, which are movies we both know a bit about. That's true. This movie is Mr. Holland's Opus. So I've heard of it. Oh yeah, I, I remember hearing about it all the time. Like I, uh, I feel like this was a big deal. You know, I don't like actually a Monday know. night movie or something. On something Fox. like that coming up next, Mr. Holland's Opus. Oh, I'm eight. I don't like any of those words. So rather than taking the easy way out, what we're doing here is we've got a little bit of an idea of of what this movie is. So let us tell you what we know. We know that it grossed eighty two million, eighty two and a half. We know it's called Mr. Holland's Opus. It was a PG movie. Here's an interesting tidbit. Two hours and 23 minute runtime in the middle of the 90s. That's a long movie. Yeah. Also, the genre that it fits in is teacher-inspirational. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you a brief 
a 90 second timed synopsis of what this movie is without actually knowing what we have no fucking idea what it is but we're going to tell you probably what it is we might and And then then we'll find out and then we'll find out and you know we'll we'll crown a king okay who's first uh you can go first okay so the timer is down Mr. Holland's Opus is a movie about what I assume is a teacher, Mr. Holland. Let's say Thomas Holland. Tom Holland, in 1996, is a music teacher at a New York City city inner city high school. Um, however, he has aspiring dreams. He wants to be a conductor. He wants to conduct the New York, New York Philharmonic Orchestra. But how's he going to do that? He just teaches high school. Uh, well, one day, he's riding his bike, his fixed wheel bike. to school in the inner city he's going from brooklyn (laughs) he comes from brooklyn to manhattan every day to teach fucking 15 year olds and he gets hit by a car (laughs) who's driving that car actor forrest whitaker who is forrest whitaker in this he is the fucking i don't know some music connoisseur i don't know music terms enough but he's the guy in charge of some shit and he's like oh man i'm sorry they go up for coffee why he's not at school is not explained. And they get a talking and the wheels are set in motion. Fuck, I've got like 20 seconds to do this. A bunch of shit happens and he gets his dream. He start. He's practicing a conducting thing. And then his um, Parkinson's disease hits and he can't conduct. But I've got five seconds. He then just, you know... There's some in, something really inspirational, and he conducts it Rudy style. Time. Okay. Okay. All right. That's a movie, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Also, uh, we learned that uh, Richard Dreyfus is in this. William H Macy. I'm assuming Richard Dreyfus is Mr. Holland. Uh, th- well, it does appear that we also have a have a look at the front cover, which is uh, apparently Mr. Holland conducting. That, yes. that is all we know. So we know that he must conduct his opus. <laughs> yeah. And I guess he writes it at some point. I'm not ready, but here we go. Okay. Three, two, one, you're up. So Mr. Holland is definitely a conductor. I'm going to say that he's already a conductor he's of a the New York Philharmonic. Okay. Here's the thing, though. So he is, he, he feels like he's stagnant, like he's got nothing going anymore. He just cannot crank out this symphony like he used to. He's worried that his career is taking a nosedive. All of a sudden, he's diagnosed with terminal cancer. Oh, yeah. His doctor, William H. Macy, has said, you know, Mr. Holland, you've got three months left. Holy shit. Boom. Inspiration hits. He starts writing his opus. Forrest Whitaker is his surgeon. He goes in for a consult. He has to get immediate surgery. He comes out of surgery. All he wants to do is write. He's not eating. He's barely surviving and he's cranking this thing out. If you don't get this chemo, you're going to die. Yes, that's it. So he's writing this opus and it's a constant back and forth between him and the doctors. And, you know, you don't have much time left. You have to stay in bed. And he refuses and he writes his opus and he gets to conduct it. And he 20 seconds dies at the end of the performance on the stage. Dies on stage. On stage. All right. You've got 15 seconds. Do you have anything else you want to add? There was a standing applause for an hour and 53 minutes. The people are exhausted. They're dehydrated. It's incredible. So you have to see the movie. All right. That is Mr. Holland's opus. <laughs> okay. Let's pull up the plot. Oh, Christ. All right. So he's decomposing on stage for an hour and a half. 
Like, are there first responders? Are the first responders just hearing, like, the echoes and then they're taken aback? Well, we may never know. I didn't get that far. (laughs) Oh, fuck me. A frustrated composer finds fulfillment as a high school music teacher. It's the opposite? It's the opposite. What the shit? It's the bizarro version of your movie. So, I mean, he, he, he dies or is dying in both of ours. Also, his name is Glenn. Glenn Holland. I was thinking Tom Holland because that's the new Spider-Man. Also, the first user review, <laughs> the first sentence of it is, it's a movie. We're just going to, I'm just going to read this. Composer Glenn Holland, Richard Dreyfus, believes that he'll eventually write a transcendent piece of music. But in the meantime, he's taken a job at an Oregon high school. That's oh, not New God. York. Though at first the job frustrates him and his unconventional mes- methods draw the ire of straight-laced principal, William H. Macy, mm. Mr. Holland grows to love his students as the temporary position stretches into a decades-long career, and in the end, they reveal just how much they love him back. Oh, that does sound like a good movie. We should watch this. Yeah, maybe. Let's look at some other opuses. The opuses of the week. The opi. And that is the albums that make up the Billboard Top 200. We are not landing transitions today. I think that was an okay transition. (laughs) We need transitions. Yes. I mean, while you're loading it, I'll tell you number one. Waiting to Exhale soundtrack. Do you ever want to rent Waiting to Exhale? Well, they put us on the Waiting to Exhale waiting list, but they said don't hold your breath. That's Ah! a Simpsons quote. Uh, Two is Daydream by Mariah Carey. She's everywhere. Everybody knows it. But three, an actually good album, Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Yeah. That's a good one. It is. We have 16 Stone by Bush on here. I imagine that's okay. What's the Story Morning Glory by Oasis? Whoa. That's a damn good album. That's charting in the States? Yeah. That's I mean, this is the time. I guess this is when they they came over. This probably has Wonderwall on it. Pretty sure it has Wonderwall, like Champagne Supernova. Okay. uh, Sally Can Wait. Okay, yeah. So all three Oasis songs. Pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, what else the is Gallagher here? The Gallagher brothers hate each other. Yeah, they sure do. It's fucked. It's great. I think, like, Liam Gallagher seems like a dick. They both seem like whiny shitheads. Yes, but the older one seems dickisher. I think that they thought they were the Beatles, but they're not. They're fucking Oasis. Yeah, they're... Oasis. Yeah. I mean, um, I did say they came over from England, so... Yeah. But, like, they're, they're not the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, so, official opinion of the podcast, Oasis... Is a perfect they way have to sum some, it up. They have some classics, let's be real. Speaking of eh, though, at number six, Cracked Rear View by Hootie. Moving on. Poss- are, the, are the blowfish associated with this? Oh, maybe not. Maybe the blowfish were fired. I don't know. At uh, seven, The Woman in Me, Shania Twain. Not interested. Ooh, Melanch- yeah, Melancholy and Infinite Sadness by the Smashing Pumpkins. That's probably got some good songs on it. Nine doesn't matter because it's Alan Jackson. Ten does, though. R. Kelly by R. Kelly. Chris is laughing because we just watched a clip from the boondocks where a girl is on the stand in court and they start playing the video of R. Kelly peeing on a girl. It's I'm not going to give anything else away, but just look up boondocks R. Kelly. It's worth it. It's pretty funny if you ever watched that show. Those are some pretty, pretty great albums. On oh, yeah. That's a, this is a good week for that. Yeah. All right. Now let's uh, move on to something we call This Week On. Every week on the show, we pick an episode of Seinfeld or The Simpsons. We've done an episode of Friends or two, but let's be real. We don't want to talk about it. Um, When a Good Friends episode comes up, we'll try to mention it, but we're we're not up to date on our friends. We'll let you know. Yeah. We pick an episode that we think is just really awesome and give you a little bit of a rundown memory lane about that. This week, we're going to talk about Seinfeld, Season 7, Episode 13, 
the seven. George meets Susan's cousins. The wife is expecting a baby and they're having a hard time agreeing on the name. George reveals that he wants to name his kid Seven after Mickey Mantle. <laughs> the cousins like the idea of naming their kid Seven, but no one else does. Elaine buys an antique bicycle and hurts her neck in the process, uh, while Kramer fixes her neck and wants the bicycle in exchange for payment. Jerry's new girlfriend wears the same dress every single day. And that Great didn't episode. that didn't go well for him. No. God, that was a funny one. Oh my god. Seven. Yeah, seven. And then he's so free he's so, he was so pumped. adamant about the it. The initial and explanation. When like, she goes into oh. labor and he's just convincing her, like, so no, how about soda? Soda. Yeah. Uh, uh Elaine with the bike is is very good. And then Newman as the impartial uh impartial juror. Oh yeah. The bicycle shall be cut in two, and each will receive half. <laughs> like uh, I that is my that is always what I think of when I think of that's got to be like a Bible story or something with like the thing will be cut uh, in half. I and, think it's like a I don't know if it's an Egyptian thing. It is like a historical thing where a doll was cut was in it half. Was a doll? Okay. And then the girl who's willing to give up the doll because it's she didn't want to see it yeah. get cut in half. Is she would rather see it in the hands of another than see it harmed. Exactly. But I for me it's the bike and oh, it's that's human. great. Yeah. Oh man, that is a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week's '90s spotlight bouncing out of one situation and into another i've been poking around on ebay lately for an espresso machine don't look into it if you think you might want one because you pretty much have to spend seven or hundred dollars to make it work however that could be cool ebay got me onto the topic of auctions because when i'm looking around for these machines i can just quickly google what they're worth and if i'm getting a good deal or not and that's the end of it But if you went to an auction in the 90s and you weren't an expert, you're just buying based on what you see. You have no idea what Mm -hmm. you're doing. Before we really get into it, I have another eBay story. Go for it. Did I ever tell you about uh, the Power Glove? I know of the Power Glove. I've seen the Power Glove. Yeah, like my Power Glove? Yeah. Okay. Uh, So this was probably like 2007 or 8 or... No, this is when we were in high school. Oh, it might have been the last year of high school. I think it was great. I think it was... Like, I'm just old enough to really, like, potentially have a credit card. Yeah. So I'm just discovering ebay yep. for the first time 2006 year of our lord and then um i'm bidding on the power glove because the i love the power glove it's pretty it's sweet. so bad it's terrible now when you enter your bid i go to enter 35 dollars 35.00 maybe just one zero it takes it as 350 oh shit so my maximum bid is 350 dollars at a time when that $350 now for a power glove would be outrageous. $350 when I was 18 was breaking the bank. I was so stressed out. I was like, fuck, I'm going to be on the hook for $350. <laughs> Luckily, the max bid never got much beyond $35 or $40. So I got myself a pretty wicked power glove. God, those things are garbage. All right, but let's talk about so 10 years like- before that, maybe. So there's, you don't have immediate access to information. Obviously, like if you're going to an auction, there are probably some professionals who are looking for certain things or some at least know, know what they're what looking they're at. Into, yeah. But I cannot imagine buying something just based on looking at it and deciding, yeah, that's probably worth some money. I'm going to go for it and find out later. Yeah. Like I mean, if we're talking about just collectibles. Oh, like yeah. You're, it's you're like, guessing. Yeah. If they saw a power glove, it's like, I have no idea what this is actually worth. They, there's no way to Google it and say... Okay, this seems to be the going rate. Like, how much more rampant was buying some cheap piece of shit that looks like an expensive Ming vase, and then it turns out it's not. It's from Ikea. 
That'd be fucked. Because, yeah, right? there's no way to really know. You can Google you it and be like, all right, these are the three things you need to look out for to determine if you have an authentic Ming vase. Yeah. Like, there's probably a BuzzFeed article on this. Oh, God, BuzzFeed. You'll never believe what <laughs> identifies these Ming vases as, as authentic. They're really scraping the bottom of the barrel. But, like, if you're, you know, it's a total crapshoot. Really How did is. people do it? They had to learn things. They had to have knowledge. I refuse. And you have to. You had to hear the auctioneer. I was actually listening to a podcast the other day that was talking. It's all about screens, and they're going on about how a phone is literally an extension of your body now, yeah. and how when you're in a public place that you've never been, you are more likely to just sit there and look at your phone because the phone in your hand has more of a connection to that public place than you do Whoa. because you can you know google where you are on the phone and figure, learn all sorts of things about your location okay so we are becoming robots was the point i think and uh i, I for, for one, one welcome, welcome our new robot overlords you, you i thought that. you were gonna okay uh, i thought we we're gonna do it at the same time yeah it was, it was gonna be a thing but yeah it was not a thing well that's okay you can't you can't win them all that podcast said, listeners we both we we're, we both welcome robot overlords we sure do yeah um, my elementary school music teacher was an auctioneer part-time. And a robot overlord. He might have been. That's actually pretty cool. Auctioneers, yeah. like that way of speaking, I would love oh, to yeah. learn that for no other reason than to just be able to say numbers really quickly. Yeah, he rocked the piano and then like on weekends he spoke really fast. Neat. Yeah. That's that's cool. Is that something that's going to die off? Auctioneers? Auctioneers? Yeah, because now it's Eventually, eBay. right? I, there's still real auctions, aren't there? Oh yeah, there are all the time. Probably go to like... I don't know, Kentucky and buy a horse. But like, that's got to be a dying art. Oh, yeah. The auctioneer stuff. Like, they'll probably just be like apps or something to do yeah. it like, in the future. I hope there's or, always like, the an auctioneer people auction. The rich people auctions will always be Sotheby's. A with the paddles. Yeah. Yeah. That's a life goal of mine, to be a rich person at an auction. That's not a bad life goal. Like, not just to go, but, but to be able to afford to bid on things should I desire them. Mm -hmm. and after some intense internet searching to make sure it's real it's legit yes yeah, right <sighs> anyway moving on to our sponsorship segment every week on the show we give you a sponsor most of the time they're fictitious and this week is no exception because this episode of stuck in the 90s is brought to you by something that came out in the 80s and that's the idea of partying like it's 1999 yeah at that must have before our time, when Prince really coined this, yeah. it must have seemed so, so, so futuristic. Yeah, so far away. Yeah. But however, as the as the mid-90s, as the late 90s rolled around, yeah. this song kind of got a resurgence. Oh yeah, because the closer it got to 99, the more novel the song was. Yeah, and also the less, I don't know, it just became less unreal. The yeah. more real it got. Because at one point, we were partying like it's 1999. Who are we partying with? The Backstreet Boys, Spice Girls, in sync. We're ringing in the millennium. Willennium. Uh, the Willennium. Because we, of course, are all Willennials. Um, the Wiki Wild Wild West. Oh my god. I like I want people so badly like fetch. I want this to be our, our fetch, trying to get our whole generation referred to as Willennials instead of millennials. That would be great. I mean, right? the Beavertons already made some some things. They did an article on millennials, yep. I saw. And uh I want to push to make that happen. All right. Hashtag millennials. I think that's going to become one of our new frequent sponsors of the podcast, the yep. millennials. Yeah. Um but for now we would like to thank Partying Like It's 1999 for getting real. Yeah. Yep. And and inspiring a generation 
to pretend like it was the future until it was the future, which then immediately became the past. I know. That was a good year. And we'll talk about that next week. Because next week, holy shit, we're prepared. Uh, We are going to do February 5th to 11th in uh, the year of our Lord, Will Smith, 1999. As always, you can find us online. StuckInThe90sPodcast.com Facebook.com slash Stuck in the 90s Podcast. Twitter, SIT90s. Instagram, Stuck in the 90s Podcast. Send us an email. Do you want to be a $10 sponsor? We'll talk to you with the reverence that we give to millennials for only 10 bucks. Send us an email. Stuck in the 90s Podcast at gmail.com. You ripped that one out. That was great. Anything else to add? Nothing. All right. Then for now, the, the podcast, podcast is now over. over.